sister of yours is at the bottom of a conspiracy against you. She's trying to persuade me to lock you up. Today she had commitment papers drawn up. She has your power of attorney and the key to your safety box. And she brought you here. My sister did all that in one afternoon. That Vita certainly is a whirlwind, isn't she? Good heavens, man, haven't you any righteous indignation? Oh, doctor, I... I you, you know, years ago, my mother used to say to me, she'd say, in this world, Elwood, you must be... She always called me Elwood. In this world, Elwood, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. Well, for years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. And you may quote me. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Posh Presents Pictures Power. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. How are you, Bartek? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing very well, just um, just having a nice relaxing time. It's a bit chilly now, we're in the zone where we're going to be quickly entering winter, it feels. Yeah, yeah, I've been, been feeling that. So I'm all rugged up, yet it's one of those days as we record where it's bright and sunny outside and it makes you think <laughs> that, oh, it's going to be warm, right? No. Yes, in the middle of our setting up, I actually stepped outside for a second, and I was like, oh, it's sunny, it'll be fine, and then, ooh. <laughs> ooh. So, Bartek, we're doing Pictures Powwow, our weekly show, a show in which we talk about a movie that's come recommended. Uh, usually the recommendations come from yourself, myself, or the listening people. Um, I believe this week it's a recommendation from me. Yes, I like how you have to think for a second. Well, I had to make sure. Yes. In case you suggested a Jimmy Stewart movie from 1950, Cold Harvey. Yes. Um, that, you know, you are so familiar with Jimmy Stewart that you asked if he was in Psycho. Like, that's how familiar you are. Mm. Which he's not, by the way. That's Anthony Perkins. So, we are going to be talking on this episode about the film Harvey from 1950, not to get it confused with the TV movie adaptations later on, the one from the 70s with Jimmy Stewart as well as uh, the guy who plays Mr. Wilson. Um, and then there's the 1990s version with, with Harry, Anderson, Harry Anderson, but we're not covering those, we're covering the original 1950 film. If the listening people have not had a chance to watch this film, give it a watch because we are going to be talking about it in depth. And if you have not had the chance to watch this movie, then, you know, you're going to be missing out on things we're talking about. And if you are interested, well, you're going to be hearing all the stuff that happens in the movie from us if you continue on listening. And it's a pleasant little movie to watch. It's it's a quick, easy watch. Um... And it's relatively easy to find. It's an old school classic with James Stewart or Jimmy Stewart and and others. So Bartek, let's get into it. Our history, our relationship with this film, and or maybe even the original play that it's based on, because this is a, a stage show adaptation. Like this is an adaptation of a stage show. Do you have any history with this at all? Zero. Nothing you you don't you hadn't heard anything of it you haven't seen it referenced or anything in the world. I feel like maybe I might have heard the title somewhere, but when you recommended it last week, I didn't know anything about it. In fact, I didn't know anything about it when I started watching it, so it was completely blind. Uh, so I got one th question for you when it comes to the blind viewing. Mm -hmm. Did you not know it was going to be a giant rabbit? No. 
So you didn't even see the poster? No. Perfect, because I was really hoping that you were going to go in blind and not even see the poster. Because the poster has Jimmy Stewart sitting next to like a lamp post, one of them, and there's a giant shadow of a giant bunny rabbit, and that will give it away. And I was just like, oh, I really hope Bartek's gone in completely blind, and it. I wonder how he feels <laughs> when it takes like 40 minutes for them to reveal that it's like a giant bunny rabbit. <laughs> yeah, it's not until I think the sanitarium scene. Yeah, it takes a while even then, and uh, yeah, it's wonderful. So, you had not heard of this, you may have heard of the name, you probably haven't seen it referenced in pop culture that much, um, it has been, but uh, very subtly, because it's an old movie, uh, I grew up with this movie, uh, as I do with a lot of movies that I recommend on this show, uh, like The Snowman, I grew I was, up with that I was going to make that joke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did grow as a person after watching it. That's true, and we all did. We all did. Harry Hall. But I recommend this movie because I felt like doing an older movie. I was semi-aware, but not as fully aware that you had not had really any experience with James Stewart as an actor. And he's an iconic actor, although you haven't seen many of his films, if any, it sounds like, you are familiar with who he is because he's an iconic actor whose voice and mannerisms and whole demeanor has been mimicked and parodied and and riffed on throughout all of pop culture since he started. Yes, I've watched Whose Lines It Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I imagine that's an example. And uh, I want to say The Simpsons has a Jimmy Stewart-type character in there. Um, Gil has a little bit of a Jimmy Stewart thing, although he's more based on Jack Lemmon from uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But I really wanted to educate you. I also know that you have a more of a blind spot with the Golden Age movies. There's obviously some you have seen, but there's a lot that you haven't seen. So I was really excited to show you something like this, which is an old school movie with such a weird and bizarre premise. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was surprising. Even by today's standard, it's it's a kooky premise <laughs> yes, with a kooky yes. execution, and there's no movie like this. <laughs> um, so I grew up with this movie. I love this. I love this movie. I love the tone and the writing and the characters and the general feel of it. So, how did you feel about it, Bartek? What are your feelings on it? Yeah, I was really enjoying it when I was watching it too. Uh. At first, I thought I understood, like, oh yeah, this is this is going to be a comedy film that has you know this one main joke going on, and uh, there'll be a lot of comedy moments around that. But then it also went to a lot of more dramatic, emotional places that surprised me, and I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. oh, that's good to hear. So yeah, at first you think it's going to be about it's going to be like a madcap farce in which it's going to be about, you know, this guy who's obviously mentally ill, but due to his general politeness and misunderstandings and happenstance, the wrong, you know, he keeps getting away and the wrong people get keep, keeps getting condemned for being the actual crazy ones like his sister and on and on it goes. And But then, like you said, it takes emotional turns as well. But here's the thing too, Bartek. Um, you went in blind. You didn't know anything about this. Did you, when you started figuring out that the movie is about a guy who's seeing an invisible thing, 
a person. It takes a while for it to be revealed it's a, like a seven foot tall white bunny rabbit. Did yeah. you think at any point in that beginning section or even midway through that Harvey was real? Um, yeah, that's a good question. The, the idea was still in my head, but nothing that I was seeing was suggesting that he was real. But then the movie reveals he's real. Yeah. <laughs> in one of my favorite scenes ever, the dictionary scene. <laughs> <laughs> The iconic dictionary scene where two sets of characters both want to look up a certain word in the dictionary, but one of them doesn't get the chance to finish reading it, and then the other one does. And, well, let's get into Harvey in the movie Harvey is a puka, which is an old, uh, was it Celtic? Yeah. Mischievous fairy creature that takes on the form of rabbits, very, I mean, of animals, usually very large, and they're mischievous. And how are you, Mr. How are you today, Mr. Wilson? <laughs> and that's when we get the first introduction that Harvey's real is he does magical things, and then later on you see doors open on their own and chairs swinging on their own and and general stuff like that. Now, uh, for you, Bartek, having gone into this blind and you enjoyed it, but. Like, how was it as a viewing experience, not knowing anything about this, and the film is just slowly unraveling this crazy, bizarre plot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely when other characters were uh, experiencing weird things, that was suggesting to me that, oh, okay, th there's some real stuff going on. And also there are some speeches later on that uh, Elwood has... That's the main character, everyone. Who and they they seem to suggest like, oh, he he knows a bit more than he's letting on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, he does know more than he's letting on, but at the same time, no one listens to him. Mm. That's the thing. Like he's saying everything, but no one's listening to him properly. And then when he gives those speeches later in the movie, that's when we, the audience, and them, the characters, fully are paying attention to him. Because yeah. in other scenes, he's trying to say things, but he gets interrupted, or people aren't taking him seriously, or they're turned off by the fact that he's crazy to them. And later on, when we get the speech in the alley, and the speech in the bar, and all these speeches, it's finally, we the audience are finally getting to sit down as other characters, and listen to what Elwood actually has to say. Mm -hmm. And it's it's wonderful to finally get that, because on this rewatching, I was noticing, like... He's the main character, but there's also large stretches when he's not in it, or he is in it, but he's not allowed to be doing things because of the plot is constructed in the way where people aren't listening to him, yeah, and or not paying attention to him because he's just so off in his own world that uh, they don't want to pay attention to him because he's silly or crazy or wacky or just you know absurd or he's a drunkard to them and all of that jazz. So, for you, first watching, uh, you know, unraveling crazy plots, you've got the sister wants to put him in the sanitarium, she gets put in the sanitarium instead, it's revealed it's a giant rabbit. How did you feel about it being revealed it's a giant rabbit? Was it too much? Was it just right? What was the, what was the feeling? Because it's just such a wacky thing, and for you, you went in blind, and yeah, that yeah. must be even <laughs> wackier. Yeah, when, when that was revealed, it wasn't so much uh, a reaction in terms of small or big, but also but in terms of uh, it's a reaction of 
oh, okay, what what does this mean for the character's I don't know, state of mind that it that it's a rabbit? Um, yeah. But all, the the big thing was also uh, the fact that the sister could sometimes see it. Yeah, and that other people like the Doctor Chumley can see it too. Mm. And that's where you go. Oh, okay, <laughs> right. So right, and it, then we get the dictionary definition that it's a puka. Had you ever heard of a puka before? I feel like I have, but. I I can't say confidently that I have. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it before this movie either. They are real. They're you know not actually in the real world, but they in in mythology terms they they are real things that were believed in. And but this movie is obviously a nicer version. As like fairies in general, they're usually a lot meaner in the real world mythology than in fiction like this. Yeah, they're a bit more grims. Yeah, pukas are usually, from my understanding, quite evil and mean. <laughs> While in this, Harvey's like the nicest guy. Like, you get, even though Harvey doesn't physically appear and doesn't have lines of dialogue and is just a thing that is a blank, blank on the screen, we know what Harvey's character is like because of the way he's described by others, how others interact with him and or the things he does do with his magic, that we get an understanding of a thing that isn't there. Harvey is a character in the movie, though. It's mm. not just, like, you get an understanding of what Harvey's like, and then the monologues help that, and you just get an understanding that, oh, Harvey's a, Harvey is a good influence. He's a good guy. He's a good rabbit. I don't think Harvey's a bad influence. What do you think? No, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And it, it is a thing of also... You you can uh, attach an analogy or a metaphor to him, but he he is meant to like literally be there, just to let everyone know. Yeah, he's literally meant to be there, and he is uh, using his mischievous magic for 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 good. You get the scene later on at near the end of the movie where nobody can find their wallets and stuff, and that plays out so that Elwood doesn't get the injection. I love the sister in this movie. By the way. I do too, yes. She won an Oscar. She did. And deservedly so, because as Jimmy Stewart said at the uh, in interviews, and it's true, she has the hardest role in the movie. She has to do this tightrope walk act of believing that Harvey is real and having have lived with Harvey, but also being a sane, rational person who doesn't believe in Harvey and doesn't want to live like this anymore. And she does a perfect job. I mean, she's so perfect in this movie that I did not even factor into my brain until the trivia that she's 31 years older than Jimmy Stewart in real life. Yeah. You don't care. You just go, oh, that's his sister. It doesn't matter. It's his older sister. Because she's so good in this movie. She has so many great gags and so many wonderful reactions and stuff. I like when she's mimicking, like, when she quotes back the taxi driver. It's like, what do you mean, oh, oh? What does oh, oh mean? And <laughs> she has such a wonderful energy, Josephine Hull. And she had, of course, if you know your stage shows and your Broadway actresses and stuff, she was a big one. Um, of that time and that era, and she was in the original stage show of of Harvey, but and she's also in the movie adaptation and the original stage show of Arsenic and Old Lace, which is quite a big one. 
and she plays one of the crazy aunties and um and she's amazing in this movie. I genuinely love her. And as I watch it more and more, she becomes one of my favorite aspects of the movie. Because here's what we've got to get into, Bartek. How did you feel about Jimmy Stewart? This is like probably one of your first Jimmy Stewart outings. How did you feel? As far as I can remember, yeah. Um, about Jimmy Stewart, I thought he did a really good job. Yeah. But what do you think of him as 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 an as an actor in this? Because the one thing that you may have heard is, oh, Jimmy Stewart was Mr. Nice Guy. He was Mr. Kind Guy. Like Tom Hanks is compared to as the modern day Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Was he as warm and cuddly and wonderful for you viewing him in this? Uh yeah, I'd, I'd say so. There, there are just so many so many reactions that he gives and people reacting to him in this film that really give off that impression almost feels like they're kind of uh no i was gonna say something that sounded i was gonna say it sounded it felt like they're kind of forcing it a bit but that kind of no that goes against what i'm feeling uh it, i'm just saying that it was written that way um but definitely mm. the way it was performed by both the people that he performed with and himself i did get that impression that he was a warm person and you can see why people of that era and today love Jimmy Stewart as an actor. Like, to, to just clarify, Jimmy Stewart's career did not just comprise of him being nice guys. He played some villains as well. He was in Hitchcock movies, so he obviously played morally bankrupt and or corrupted people, or at least morally dubious, and or bizarre characters. Like, have you never seen Rope? The Hitchcock movie Rope? No, I haven't. Isn't that as uh, as their professor? And he is so good in that movie. He's so devilish in that movie. He's supposed to be a good guy. Like, he, he, he comes in as the Sherlock Holmes type character. But he's got, like, such a devil-may-care attitude. And Jimmy Stewart, but he's always kind of remembered for this nice guy persona because he apparently was a very nice guy in real life. That that that, that drawl, that stuttering voice of his, the, 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 the very tall thing a sl- slender frame but he also feels like although he's incredibly tall and he towers over everyone in this movie he also feels small because of just the way he holds himself mm. and he's just such a ch- he was just such a charming actor and this is probably i think his most charming performance i'm not saying it's his best performance although he says he he has said at the time when he was alive that Elwood P Dowd was always one of his favorites and you can see why cuz Elwood P Dowd is one of the most pleasant on-screen characters in all of media. <laughs> There's never been a more pleasant, likable character than Elwood P. Dowd. Not in my, not in my books. He's like the aspiration. It's one of those things where you watch this character, you think about it from a script perspective, and you think about it from what Jimmy Stewart's bringing, and it makes you just go, "I wish I could be like Elwood P. Dowd. Like I wish I could be as nice as Elwood P. Dowd, but that's just not." realistic but i wish i could be did you get that vibe or do you ever get vibes like that from media uh in terms of wanting to be like something but knowing you can't yeah yeah i guess so maybe not nice because i've always thought of myself as a bit of a nice person but uh definitely yeah yeah but bartek come on you must know that you're nowhere yeah you might you might think yourself as nice but you're not like when you see lp dad you must go oh well i wish i could be that nice I'm pretty happy with how nice I am, but uh, definitely, no I, if I if I was in a competition with him, I, I think I I think I wouldn't win. 
You would play Wilson in this, and you know it. Mr. Wilson. <laughs> the, the white slaver? Yeah, the white slaver. <laughs> they had so many great phrases about him. You'd be him or the cab driver. If you were in the stage show, I reckon. Oh, well, cab driver has a sentimental line. Yeah, but he's also... Like, yeah, they're all sentimental. At the end of the day, every character's arc is they all end up in a much better place. They're all happy and nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie has a lot of things happening in it. A lot of comedic farce. A lot of one-liners. Lots of physical gags. One of the things that I've always appreciated about it, I've noticed it since I was a kid, and you can read about it on IMDb if you don't have a keen eye, but I'm wondering if you noticed, Bartek. Did you notice how the frame, how they framed shots as if Harvey was in them? Mm-hmm. Did you notice it on the watching of it, or did you notice it after you read the trivia? I guess I subconsciously noticed it when I was watching the film, because... I mean, there were many indicators of Harvey's physical presence, and the shots helped with that. Um, but when I read it in the trivia, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that did happen. So I guess 50-50 is my answer. He also got a little starring as himself credit at the end. Mm-hmm, he did. Wasn't that amazing? I yeah, yeah. I love when when you watch older movies like this, they always have fun little things like that. Just weird little fun credits like that. The Harvey one, there's a movie, The Bad Seed, which ends in a very humorous way, considering it's a dark movie. I won't reveal what that one's post-credit thing is, but that one's very cheeky and fun and has some of the same actors from this in it. Uh, Mr. Wilson, primarily. And uh, old-school Hollywood movies, like even with their dramas, as well as their comedies, they, they sometimes like have a, like a cute quirky likability thing like that in the like like that for instance where Harvey gets his own credit and you look it up and Harvey's credited on IMDb you press his IMDb profile and this is the only movie he's done <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that or 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 there's a uh, I can't remember I want to say it's a um, House on the Haunted Hill where they have a skeleton in that movie and it's credited as an actor, and then you look up its IMDb, and it's been in other movies. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it's a, a real skeleton. <laughs> as, like, in Rocky Horror, how they have a real skeleton in the in the, in the the clock, in the coffin. But, uh, yeah, this movie has a lot of wacky things going on. What were some of the, the humorous scenes that you enjoyed, or humorous moments that you enjoyed? Uh, the biggest laugh I had was a Josephine Hull line. Oh, yeah, what one? It was, it was near the end of the film. It was oh good, nobody here but people. <laughs> that was for sure the biggest laugh I had. I like one of my favorite lines. It's such a subtle little line, but it adds to her character being so formal. Because her whole thing is she wants to be a socialite, but she can't because she lives with her crazy brother. Mm-hmm. She walks up to Elwood near the end of the movie. It's a very sincere scene, but this line cracks me up. She goes. Something along the lines of, Elwood, you're my brother. I've known you for quite some time. <laughs> just like the, like just yeah, you've known him as only the whole time. Like, uh, she says, it's not like that. She says, I've known you for quite a few years, and it's just so s- formal and weird, and it makes sense. But it just it makes me laugh because, of course, that character would say it like that. Like she loves him, but there's still like this etiquette and distance between them. This is also, yeah, in the in the composition of the line, the second half is a clarification of the first half, even though it's implied. Yeah. 
I thought that um one of one of my favorite scenes other than the dictionary scene because the dictionary scene for comedic effect is is a highlight scene and also introduces the fact that Harvey is in fact real. I really enjoy the whole sequence of events, that whole set piece of him with the doctor and the nurse and they're thinking that he wants to sue them because uh, yep, yep. they put him in instead and he's trying to introduce Harvey but no one's been and he's like pulled up two chairs and then he pulls up a third chair for her to sit in and they're not paying attention like every time he tries to say something the doctor or the nurse will be like please please let me finish and he just never gets a word in, really. Yeah, I was watching that scene. I was like, oh, I bet Ryan really loves this scene. And as all the moving pieces, so many moments, like Jimmy Stewart just every now and then will look off to Harvey and make like a knowing knowing look like, oh, yeah, we know what's up. He literally nudges him and winks at one point. Yeah, nudges and winks and has a chuckle. And, and uh, he has so many weird little interactions with Harvey. That's a great thing. This is the art of acting. And it's because it's so good that you genuinely believe Harvey's real because Jimmy Stewart believes he's real. Josephine Hull believes he's real. Everyone on this in this cast, as well as the direction with having framed Harvey in shots, it feels it feels like he is real because they all are acting like he's real. They're acting like there is something there. And do you find it humorous, Bartek, that in this modern age in which we have actors today acting against nothing in green screen, that they can't come across as convincing when they're acting against nothing, and yet someone like Jimmy Stewart back in 1950 can? Yes, well, first of all, we'll just say that Matthew Lillard gets to be on his own pedestal. Oh, Matthew Lillard's on his own pedestal. Yeah, yes. you're right. Um, yeah, I was definitely thinking about like how how a modern day take on a scene like that would have been. Like, it, I feel like they would highlight a lot of uh, a lot of individual actor moments a bit more. This 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 sequence here had a lot of dynamic stuff going on. Like the Doctor character was in the he was doing like mannerisms and he had lines while at the very same time Jimmy Stewart was trying to introduce Harvey and have his own mannerisms so there is a dynamic there where you have to watch both i feel like a more modern take on that would be yeah just cutting between the two doing things or having more stiff line readings yeah having more obvious showing shots of one thing happening and then the other thing happening but they have like wide shots where just multiple things are happening on screen obviously we're paying attention to Elwood because he's being very obvious because he's nudging and we like Elwood we've followed him so far but and also it's Jimmy Stewart but the other two the nurse and the doctor they're doing this stuff too. Like I noticed, like when Jimmy Stewart would point to Harvey or make a reference, the Doctor would subtly he he would have had his he has his head turned in another direction doing something. Yep. Without yeah, being, without it being overtly obvious, it's not one of those. Um, I love Bob Hope movies and. In Bob Hope movies, they have a lot of those gags where two people who want to kill each other are right next to each other, but they can't see each other because, say, one's crouching and looking down and the other one's standing up and looking above. Mm -hmm. And we did that for The Pale Face, where they have a whole shootout in which they're next to each other. And yet they don't find each other for a large portion of that shootout because of comedy gags. 
that's a more overt reference to that, where you're noticing how they're not seeing things. But in this, those two actors, the, the nurse and the doctor, they're doing subtle things of just missing it. Like, the nurse is sitting right there. She's looking at Elwood. Elwood points to Harvey. But, uh, you know, what you notice is she's... she's uh, She's adjusting something on the desk that she's accidentally bumped during the conversation while that's happening. So she's just missed it. But it's not obvious stuff. It's not as in your face as it could be. And that's what's so great about that sequence. Of course, that's my favorite comedy sequence because you have so many gags. You have so many visual things going on that it just keeps your attention and the obvious thing of we know what's actually happening and the characters don't know. Elwood doesn't know. The doctor doesn't know. The nurse doesn't know. They assume Elwood's going to be a jerk. We know he's not going to be a jerk. He's the nicest guy in town. Yeah, we, we the audience, are truly a third person in that scene. The one person that knows everything. Yeah, and Along I... Along with Harvey. Yeah. I really do enjoy, too, when, the do- when Dr. Chumley is introduced and he gets the wrong hat put on him and I love when he, they're figuring it out as well the the revelation that they've institutionalized the wrong person where Dr. Chumley's sticking his fingers through the holes in the hat because of course Harvey has to fit his ears through the hat mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a that was a great little 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 twist on 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 the things any other comedic scenes because like you said this has some dramatic moments too which we'll obviously talk about but there's lots of it's primarily a comedy any other comedic moments scenes lines interactions that that got to you uh well those were the main ones but definitely any scene with the vita in it like just talking to anyone and being kind of hysterical was also funny you don't want to talk about the painting the painting <laughs> that was a good one too never have uh, i wanted to own a prop more in my life than that yeah, painting. yeah I, I can believe that i can believe that for sure don't you want <laughs> that in your house <laughs> it's yeah, a... if i can find somewhere for it no i want the prop i want that original prop in my house <laughs> no, I, want... I, can, I can believe it's hidden in one of your rooms somewhere what makes the painting so good is it's the only time we get to see what Harvey looks like. <laughs> yeah. And he has a pocket. <laughs> Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Okay, you got to look up Harvey painting and you'll notice he's Harvey's got he's got a, he's got his hand in a zipper pocket, but that's attached to him. <laughs> it's on his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and I that's my favorite touch is he has a little little pocket on himself where he can put his hand or his change or whatnot like it's a, like a little pouch like like a, a kangaroo and I love it it it's I, wonderful I think maybe that painting was reminding me of you because you made that that wounded cousin video once yeah I made a, I made an arty video with a rabbit creature in it but uh, Harvey I love that painting scene as well because one the painting's amazing we both agree on that it's, it has to be yes he's the thing that makes it wonderful think about how he got that made only he can see like did the paint the painter couldn't see Harvey so he had to describe Harvey for him I just think about think about the logistics of how he got that painting made. It's insane. Like I just I want to know who the artist was that sat down and painted the both of them. No, yeah, the logistics would be weird because you just said that he'd describe him, but Jimmy Stewart acts like 
doesn't he act like people can see Harvey? Because like he he tells people like, oh, don't you worry about that look he's giving you that you clearly see. Yeah, but that's the thing. Logistically, how did this guy get a painting of Harvey? Like, <laughs> like that's exactly right. You're thinking about it. Like now, think about that. Makes it funny to me as well as someone who's viewed this multiple times. And you think about the world, how that painting come came into existence is hilarious to me. Maybe Harvey painted it. Well, we know he didn't because they make a point about how like he, he had to go out. When he went out, he had to go pick up the painting. So I don't think Harvey would have had it somewhere in town. It. Yeah, he would have had it at the house. I love, love, love the painting. And that whole sequence of events where they're looking for Elwood and they're missing him because the... the um. Uh, the daughter uh, is hitting, is having a thing with Mr. Wilson in the kitchen with the egg sandwich and Dr. Chumley and the judge and all these things. And they're all just missing Elwood putting painting there and they come back to the room and the painting's there. And she thinks they're talking about the painting of the mother, which has been established throughout the movie already. And her reaction to seeing the painting is, is genuine gold. <laughs> it is... Uh, another character before before we get into other comedy set pieces I really want to highlight is I love the judge judge Gaffney mm-hmm. I love that that guy that guy he uh, he's only he only acted in like 12 things which I was shocked by because he's you know he seems like he has presence maybe a stage show presence but I couldn't find any IMDB trivia about him but he is exactly what you imagine a human tortoise to look like, like a, a like a, a a human version of a tortoise. If a tortoise changed into a human, that's what it would look like, Judge Gaffney, and it would sound like him too. Did you like the judge's voice? He it definitely stood out among the cast. Hey, it's me. I can't even do it. I can't even do it because it's so specific. <laughs> Mean- uh, yeah, I've, I've slept on the film, so I, need, I can't remember quite how it was either, so I can't give Well, he kept calling her his girl. Hey, you're my girl. <laughs> Leave my girl alone. Mr. Wilson sounds like he comes from the same place David Lynch does, except for not as nasally, but they have a very similar accent. It was bugging me. Maybe. Maybe. Brothers. I would like that. Um, so there was no other comedy highlight moments for you? No set pieces or scenes or lines or characters even? Uh, those were all my big ones. I, I think the rest of the film was pretty consistent in quality. Like, oh, I, I enjoyed all this. Didn't laugh out loud, but I was really... It was a pleasant experience. That's the key word. Pleasant. This is just a pleasant movie. This is one of those movies that, look, they tried to remake it in the 90s They they as a, as a thing, and it didn't work. And the thing is... Sure, you could remake this today as a film, sure, but I just say this is a film that belongs as its own thing. Like, yeah, there's the stage show and there's the TV TV movie adaptations, but this film is so perfectly pleasant and it's like lightning in a bottle. There's no point in ever trying to recapture this. This is just one of those things where you go, ah... This is a pleasant throwback. They don't make movies like this anymore. And it's kind of a sad thing that they don't make movies like this anymore with such madcap ideas, yet it's so pleasant. Do yeah, you th- don't, oh, don't remake it, be inspired by it. 
Exactly. Because here's the thing I've got to ask you, not just with what I said about it being so pleasant and, and, and whatnot, do you think that they could make this today? That was that was the big question. Like, I don't normally think about stuff like that when I watch films, but I was with this one, and a lot of a lot of the things that I was thinking pointed towards no. Mm. Maybe if if someone was dedicated enough, they could. But the sensibilities of this film, yeah, I, I don't know if they've been captured in many films today. I think they would want to explain things. They would want to explain it all. They would want to lay it out on the table. And I think it would be taken more seriously because when you break it down, this is a story about a, at first, a guy who's mentally ill to the point in which he's driving his relatives to insanity as well and they need to institutionalize him. And it's all played for, like, levity. Mm. And then you realize Harvey's real and the movie doesn't treat the revelation that Harvey's real as like the biggest change in the world. It's just like, oh, he's real. Okay. Like, yeah, it's, it's I'm not, fine it's with not that. The, it's not the mid-film dramatic stinger plot twist. Yeah, where it redefines everything. It's just kind of like when it happens, you go, of course. Okay, cool. Cool. Like, it's just a pleasant <laughs> reveal. I can I can see now you get like flashbacks to little moments where it's like now that you know that it's real this this I moment that, that you saw is completely different. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, then they'll make it into a Harvey cinematic universe <laughs> where okay, they now we're have... a step beyond. <laughs> yeah, but they have him in other movies like oh, you remember when Harvey was in that other movie in this universe and they show a shot of just an empty piece of space in a frame. There he is. Scene. <laughs> they would just do silly stuff like, oh, they go through an x-ray machine and Harvey's skeleton would appear in the x-ray machine. Stuff like that. I could see that happening. It's... Yeah, it can be like it can be like a buddy film like Venom. Venom, Venom, Venom. I would love Eminem Abby, to do Abby, a Harvey Abby. song. <sighs> it's so uh, pleasant, but... Before we get into the, the the dramatic elements of the film, do you have any negatives about this movie? This is your first watch of it. We've said it's very pleasant, very nice. It's a very simple film. It only takes place in a few locations. But do you have any problems with it? Um, I, honestly, I don't think so. It's It's a pretty finely crafted film. Yeah, I try to think of some. I think... The moment, this is just me pulling for some. I think the moment with uh, Mrs. Chumley looking at the dictionary and then she's like, oh, I'm running late. I think that could have been directed a little better. It comes across as like, uh, it reminds me that there's a script. Yeah. Um, It just reminds me, oh, we need Wilson to read the dictionary so we have this joke. Because Wilson's actually going to be in the plot. Mrs. Chumley's not actually in the plot. She doesn't come back. Um, and that's it. Maybe the Dr. Sanderson and, and Miss Kelly are very 1940s, 50s type straight-laced characters, and the actors are very, like, of that time where, you know, they don't bring anything necessarily to the table, but I honestly don't care. Like, they're not what the movie's about, and like I said... Those two actors are bringing stuff to the table. It's just a little bit less than, say, a little less showy than than Jimmy Stewart or the guy who plays Doctor Chumley or 
or or um Josephine Hull and and uh, Myrtle May and the Judge, they're they're kind of a bit more straight laced, which works because the, we have to have this grounded in some reality. And he, El, uh, you know, Elwood's family members that are suffering from it aren't in reality anymore. They they've been driven to to an nth degree as well, so they can't be our point of contact yeah, those, for what is normalcy. Yeah, those two are complementary to the other characters. Um, and that's it. I can't think. I love that the movie, like all old movies, it just ends. Yeah. But it's one of those ones where it's a good just end, where, hey, Harvey, you came back. Oh, what? I prefer you, you know, I, I like you too. I prefer you as well. Oh, that's nice. And then they just yeah, walk off. Walk into the sunrise. And it's a beautiful shot. Like, obviously, it's a mm. matte painting or whatever that they're walking towards, but it's it's great. And he, you know, does yeah. his, oh, you want to walk on the other side? Okay. And you just know the characters just continue on after the movie. Hmm. For me, that's one of the strengths of this movie is, and I, I don't know if you have characters like this in pieces of media that do this for you, but Harvey is one of those that does this for me, which is, I still think about these characters after the film is done and not just like I'm thinking back about the film, but I'm thinking about like what Elwood's up to after the story's done. I'm thinking about mm. El. I still think about what Elwood would be doing after the film's done. I'm thinking about those. I'm thinking about that party the next night at his house with all the people he's invited and, and that dinner. I was going to say he's inviting more people. <laughs> He's inviting, he's handing out, I'm still thinking about him handing out his business card, and I still think about Elwood P. Dowd after the film is done, and I think that's a, 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 a giant compliment to the writing and the direction and the film in general, because, you know, rarely do, if a piece of media has that effect on you, that, that usually means it's a, it's a, it's a, they've, they've done their job quite well. Do you have any pieces of media like that? Any characters from things or... Or stuff like that, where you continue to think about it, having progressed after the story has completed. I yeah, I've I've had that happen a few times. Maybe not necessarily to movies, but I have. Anything in particular well, that you can remember? Um, late last year, I read a manga called Angel Densetsu, which kind of also just ended in the middle of uh, well. It wasn't necessarily something that had a huge running story. It did, but um, when it ended, it kind of ended on a middle, like, you know, status quo level. Um, mm. And then there was an afterword by the, the, the person that made it. And I, I guess this is a bit more artificial than just being natural. But uh, he mentioned that, you know, he, he was done with the story Um but he he thinks that these characters are still living life, still having uh, their little uh, modern day adventures, uh, even if they're not being you know shown to the audience. So, and I, I think about that concept a little bit and try to apply it to other things that I watch since then. I agree. I thought the the animes you've recommended so far on the show, the Tokyo Godfathers and Wolf Children. Those have a similar thing where I still think about, like, I think that I think about those characters having lives beyond the story that we got told. A little less with Wolf Children because it kind of, a part of the ending of that movie is about the lives after that story had finished. So, a little less so, but Tokyo yeah. Godfathers, <laughs> I think about those characters still 
progressing after that story's been done. Well, and also with Tokyo Godfathers, one of your criticisms was that it kind of ends in the middle of what could have been a more dramatic scene. That is a true fact. So let's talk about the dramatic heft of Harvey. Did this movie get to your emotions? Did it tug at your heartstrings? I, it was very much a uh, stroke my, my goatee and nod while being like, yeah, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And, and enjoying it, yeah. Um, so what about the dramatic stuff did that for you? Any, any scenes in particular that struck a chord with you? And then what did you get from this movie? What was, what was the messaging you, you got? From it this? was, it was, it was specifically when Elwood talks about how everyone has their own problems, but then when he introduces Harvey to them, suddenly, you know, they're not as worried about their problems. He has that effect. Mm-hmm. That scene in the alley is amazing. Yeah. Uh, it is a feat of acting and writing and direction, and it's it's wonderful. It's one of the few times we get with Elwood where that whole sequence where Harvey isn't there. It's just, this is Elwood, and that's a thing to marvel at. Uh, I love that monologue, that whole sequence. I love that they're just in awe of him, because... I can't speak for you, but as an audience member, I'm in awe. I'm just sitting there just, like, listening to every single word he's saying with the utmost sincerity. Did you have that? Yes, like, I mentioned the goatee. The goatee, but you have a beard. But Yeah, I know, yeah. And here's the thing. There's lines in that monologue that if they were in the hands of someone else, they would have been funny in a different sort of way. Like... There's a line towards the end of the monologue where he says, like, you know, those people, um, they seldom ever come back. And that line could be funnier if it was delivered in someone else's hands because it's kind of funny that he sees this romanticized version of introducing these people to an invisible creature and then they never come back. And then he says, but that's envy, my dear. There's envy in the best of us. And if it was delivered by anyone else, it would have been a humorous take on the fact that this guy has obviously scared these people away, but he is blind in seeing that. But Jimmy Stewart delivers it with utmost sincerity that I just take his word for it. Yeah, I kind of saw that line referring more to the types of people that he sees at the bar who kind of do like him. But like you say, yeah, they don't they don't see him again. Yeah, that's the thing. Like he says, some do, but most of them don't. Most seldom ever come back. And I and you're thinking in the reality of the of the movie we've been presented, where people are freaked out by Harvey, and mm. but Jimmy Stewart just is so real in that scene. That I don't see any humor there. Like in my brain, as a, in writing terms, I could see if I was doing it, I would make that line a little bit more overt and in, in the humorous take on it. But Jimmy Stewart, he says it, and you just go, yeah, and it makes you feel bad that there is envy in yourself. You know, you're just going, Ugh, he's right. He's such a sweet guy. Uh, we talked about recently a film called Michael. Yep. And this film has a lot of similarities to that film. 
It has a very weird take on a Cupid story because a part of this too is Harvey and Elwood are kind of playing Cupid, not just in terms of romance, but their whole thing is they're playing guardian angel Cupid where they're hooking people up and making people's lives better through an unconventional manner in a very laid back blase manner, which was the same thing with Michael where it was about a guardian, uh, like a literal angel making two people fall in love and find their humanity again. We didn't enjoy that film. Do you agree that this film is kind of doing a similar-ish type thing? Yeah, I feel like I feel like that sort of thing is I guess the purpose behind uh what Jimmy Stewart thinks that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just bringing bringing these people together and this is also a weird mystical quality this is also a religious or or at least mythological creature type thing doing this and i felt like this does it so much better because it's it's so like i don't know it just i think it's just the writing and the performance and and the odd take is actually explored we said in michael that we wish that movie exploited the odd idea of this angel archangel michael well, this film does exploit the fact that it's weird that Jimmy Stewart has a friend that's a seven-foot-tall uh, invisible bunny rabbit. And the film exploits mm. that for comedy and for dramatic effect. So, what was your... Uh, just to clarify again, what was your overall take on this film? Like, its message that you took away from it all? Uh, it was basically, yeah, very centred around the, the, the alleyway scene where... Um, Harvey exists as Jimmy Stewart's friend and the purpose that they have in, in their interactions with other people is a sort of healing effect to make themselves, to make the other characters try to feel better. Yeah. To make them feel better and be better people overall. I, 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 I agree. I love during that monologue too the doctor trying to psychoanalyze him and it doesn't work because Harvey is real. And he's trying to be like, is your dad's name Harvey? You must have had a friend called Harvey. You must have had someone. And Jimmy Stewart's whole point is, well, no, I've never have. But I guess that's why I was excited to meet one. (laughs) And the actual, (laughs) I love how he puts on a voice. Like Harvey has this deep voice. And it just adds his character, like how he portrays Harvey. Oh, he was a bit spiffed, wasn't he? And uh, I couldn't lie, he was spiffed. (laughs) Stuff like that. One of the things I take away from the movie, and this is going to be an avenue I would like to talk about, is the whole Dr. Chumley plot of this movie. Because that's Mm -hmm. such an interesting avenue that this movie doesn't show you, where a part of you wants to see when Dr. Chumley arrived and what the hell happened. But it's great that we just... It's like it's it's omitted from the film in a good way. But what I love is, for me, one of the things I take away from the movie is when he has that chat with Dr. Chumley in his office about life and things and Dr. Chumley's finding out that Harvey has the ability to stop time and reverse it and take you anywhere and do anything that you want and you find out that Jimmy Stewart's character has never exploited that because he's just happy living in the now Mm -hmm. and I think that's also a part of it is is a part of the message of this movie is appreciate what's happening right now don't get hung up about the past or the future don't get hung up about those things don't stress about those things don't 
don't don't overthink that just appreciate what's happening around you now and the people that are with you right now and that is something but i also think the thing that i take away is this is a movie like we said it's pleasant and the movie is saying just be pleasant it's it's okay it's it's easy to be smart and cynical but it's it's hard to be pleasant but overall it's better to be pleasant and that's one of the things I get away because he has that speech about, you know, his mother used to always say you could be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. And most of li- most of his life he was oh so smart, but now he recommends being oh so pleasant. And that's what I take away is just, just be pleasant to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole Dr. Chumley plot is, is, is bizarrely unique. What did you think about Dr. Chumley and his little journey that we did and didn't get to see? Yeah, his uh, his very first line reminded me of a, of a script that you and I have access to, mm-hmm. um, certain character because it was like we don't make mistakes in this institute. Um, <laughs> I, I guess when when we were getting the explanation of like that meeting that he had that we didn't see, I, I may maybe if I had a criticism when that was first brought up, I thought that was a bit jarring. But as the film went on, you know, you understood it. Um, yeah, he was also a very fascinating aspect of the film, even though I was, I was with Jimmy Stewart on the whole thing of Harvey existing, there was the idea in the back of my mind, like, oh, is this film trying to go for a maybe everyone's crazy kind of thing? Mm. Um, but I, but then we obviously do get, you know, other characters like Mr. Wilson seeing the thing in the, in the dictionary, um, and also the, Mr. Chumley himself being... Uh, followed through the sanitarium near the end. And the door uh, opens and the chair swings and physical things are yeah, happening too. That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we get that one shot where Wilson opens the door where, without us seeing him for a second and it's like, oh no, there he is. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really like the Chumley aspect because like I said, when we first had that first line from him, I thought he was just going to be you know, one-dimensional boss caricature that we sometimes see, but no, they actually gave him an arc. But uh, here's the thing. He didn't fully change as a person in a good enough way for Harvey to stay. Yeah. Because Harvey chooses to leave him at the end and go back with Elwood because he prefers his company. Why do you think he left Chumley? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Like I I didn't know whether that was a like he changed his mind, he didn't like him or if he had already stopped time and done what he had to do. So, yeah. I think it's that Chumley is still being oh so smart because mm-hmm. do you remember what he wanted to do with Harvey? He wanted to use Harvey for his own exploits. He wanted to spend that time being selfish. He didn't even want the woman to speak in his fantasy. He didn't really want her to be able to be a person. He wanted her to just be this object. And Jimmy Stewart's character, Elwood P. Downs, says, like, I think that's a big mistake, not letting her speak for herself. And I think as noble and as a good person as Dr. Chumley is presented to be by the end of the movie, he's still being oh so smart and oh so selfish. 
And I think Harvey would rather spend time with someone like Elwood P. Dowd, who's always thinking of others. Even though mm. a part of the problem with Elwood is he's not doing that enough because he's causing his sister such harm and his niece such harm by just being so oblivious to things. But by the end of the movie, everything's okay. They recognize that and they and they get over it and they bond. It's truly a, a warm, pleasant, heartwarming, touching film overall. And uh, I think the Dr. Chumley plot is so interesting because... It's not something I would have thought of putting in there. It, it, yeah, it's, I didn't even see it coming. You don't think of it, and it's just so bizarre. And I like this idea, too, of Dr. Chumley and Harvey. While, while, while Elwood's talking in the alley, Dr. Har- uh, Dr. Chumley and Harvey are like having philosophical arguments and going to other places to get food and drinks and shit, because that's what they were doing, apparently. <laughs> um, I like the guy who controls the gate outside. No, he was fun. Um, he seems like he would be in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> yeah, he he wants a two by four. He wants a two by four, but uh, yeah, this is just one of those sweet, good-natured films. It's it, it's got all the quotes that you could ever need. Like if you just want to go and uh, even if you just want to feel good, just go to the IMDb quotes and just look up any quote by Elwood P. Dowd, and it will make you feel good because they're all so good. I got one final thing I really want to bring up as a point of discussion, Bartek. Would you say that the movie could be annoying to people because it's too pleasant and too twee and nice? Hmm. Could it be too annoying? Um. I I feel like maybe if anyone were to be annoyed by this, it would be more so. Maybe not so much. Uh, from the acting and performances, but maybe just because they're not used to this type of film, perhaps? I mean... Like, there are very long shots, not a lot of cuts. Uh, like we say, there, there's the, the whole dynamic of the acting is something that we don't see as much of these days, so maybe someone who's more acclimatised to what's produced in our more contemporary age might not enjoy it as much. But uh, in terms of someone who like does like this era and just somehow hasn't seen the film, I... I don't know. I think it really does. It, it has it has a lot of facets to it that makes it more than just being purely pleasant. Yeah, and just I think the writing is just so uh, for myself. The writing is just so well meticulously crafted. Any conversation he has, Elwood is is fascinating. Him and him and uh, Mrs. Chumley outside was a fascinating conversation, and she has some one liners that are pretty good about like. Uh, I, I've I've tried stuff uh, introducing my uh, like getting my f- family to like my friends and then Elwood saying like oh well we must always keep trying mustn't we and she's like oh, of course we do uh, <laughs> for you just one thing just to finish off I guess because and go into our, just our, our final final thoughts one of the funny little gags that you probably didn't get as much pleasure out of un- until maybe retrospect is uh, if you didn't know it was a bunny is there's that great bit at the start at the house where that woman's singing that song 
and she's singing about hop hop oh, hop like hop hippity hop hippity yeah. hippity hop and 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 the sister is freaking the fuck out about it like yes at the beginning right. she does not like it when people bring up harvey's name she gets that traumatized and then having that woman just inadvertently singing a song about hop 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 hippity hop <laughs> Yeah, halfway through what you were saying, I'm like, oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. And when you watch it in retrospect, it's one of the funniest things in the movie because, you know, we know it's about a giant bunny rabbit. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it, people. Our thoughts on, uh, you know, Harvey to give up some wrap up things. I think that this movie is a, a joy to watch. I think it needs to be viewed by more people. Just to see the wonder of it, to 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 see some brilliant script writing, to see Jimmy Stewart at his best, at his peak, this is this is wonderful. Of course, there's other great movies, like I said, Hitchcock movies, and It's a Wonderful Life, and I really like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valens, and he's a he was a treasure. Uh, but this is just worth watching. And here's the thing, too. I have often talked about on this show sometimes when we've had uh, film adaptations of stage shows and or films that feel like TV pilots or whatever, and that being a bad thing. This film, obviously, we recognize that it's clearly based on a stage show, but it mm-hmm. overcomes that barrier of it is just a good film on its own although it's obvious it's based on a stage show with the way things are blocked in the setting and some of the acting is stagey in a way but the writing and everything about it it overcomes that barrier for for myself and it seems for a lot of people this is a a, a golden age movie and it really is gold it's so bizarre and kooky and odd, just like uh, other films of this era. They had some really bizarre comedy movies like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Pale Face, so on and so forth, where they had these really wacko premise to it, but they delivered them with such, for the most part, sincerity and heart that you just kind of accept it very quickly. Um, yeah, Harvey, to me, it's uh, one of the, it's a perfect movie, honestly. Like I said, I have some minor flaws, but that's just me stretching. But at the end of the day, this is one of those movies uh, I will always put on and it will always be getting my attention fully. Bartek, final thoughts? Yeah, considering that I could barely think of any negatives worth mentioning, I'd have to agree. It is definitely a great film, definitely a strong recommendation. Um, if you're not used to films from this era, this is definitely one to check out. Yeah. So, Bartek, listening people's recommendation for next episode. Yes, I'm excited because you apparently you couldn't remember the title. Or no, something? I had to clarify the title. Uh, so, ah, so in my brain, I know the title, but I just got the words flipped around. Okay. So we're going to be doing a, 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 a 1995 film starring mm-hmm. Jackie Chan, Rumble in the Bronx. Ah, right. And we got recommended by our good friend over at the Miscellaneous Podcast, Giuseppe, who was on our episode of Jack and Jill. So mm-hmm. we'll be covering Rumble in the Bronx uh, next Bronx the Rumble. episode. Uh, so make sure to check that out. Um, I can't remember... Uh, um, uh, make sure to we'll make sure to double check if there's any different cuts of the movie and stuff. But I think it will just be like the normal cut of it uh, out there. But uh, uh, Rumble in the Bronx, Bartek, are you excited to see some Jackie Chan? Yeah, it's been a while. 
Are you a big watcher of his uh, Hollywood stuff or his uh, original Hong Kong stuff? Uh, not as much of either, but it's like whenever I see anything from him, I enjoy it. So it's like, oh yeah, Jackie Chan, let's see. Let's see. So uh, that will be on the docket next episode. Uh, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook, Twitter. Just type in Spit and Posh Presents. You can find us. We're also on YouTube and all the podcatchers available. Uh, you will find us, uh, Spit and Polish Presents. Give us a rating and review on whatever podcatcher allows it. It is always greatly appreciated. We have our email. Bartek, what's our email in case people want to contact us with their thoughts about movies or even future suggestions for movies to cover? That would be spitandpolished at gmail.com. That, once more, is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Wonderful, Bartek. So, thank you very much, uh, listening people. And uh, as always, remember to be pleasant to each other as Elwood would want us to be. <laughs> <laughs>